I'm excited today to continue our series in the book of Revelation. Thankful for our folks in the gym venue in Liberty Hill. Grateful for Ben out in Liberty Hill and Jake in the gym venue. You guys did a great job last week. Those guys were awesome and uh, excited to continue in our series together with all of you today. Lindley and I have wedding bands that we wear on our left hand, signifying that we are married. And if you're married, you likely have a wedding band, a wedding ring. And that ring that we wear is very real. You can see it and you can touch it. It's significant in the sense that it conveys a message about us. But the rings that we wear are less significant than something that you can't see or touch quite as easily as the ring that represents our marriage. You you can't see and touch the very thing that makes the ring significant, gives it meaning. See, the love that Lindley and I share, the love that you share with your spouse, actually is far more significant and gives meaning to the ring. You take out the love that you share with your spouse and the ring loses its meaning. It loses its significance. There's something that is not as easy to see or touch that gives, that is far more significant, gives meaning to the thing that's easier to see and touch. You think about your life in the coming week. There is so much happening in your life this next week that is about the things you can see and touch. The things you juggle, the things that you'll be stressed about, the things that you will have to accomplish, the people that you'll have to be around and relate to to accomplish those things. So much of your life is experiencing the things that you can see and touch. And yet, the things that we cannot as easily see and touch are the very things that can give incredible significance to the things we do see and touch. This morning as we look at a vision of John, we we won't be able to see it like he saw it. But I hope that we can behold something that is not yet actually seen or felt In such a way that it could impact everything we will see and everything that we will do in the week to come. So let's look together at Revelation chapter 15, starting in verse 1. And I saw another sign in the heavens, great and marvelous. Seven angels having seven plagues, which are the last. Because in them the wrath of God is finished. 
John sees another sign. Now, he talked about a couple of signs previously in chapter 12. Neither one did he describe as great and marvelous. He just said they're signs. But here in chapter 15, he sees another sign, but this one he describes as great and marvelous. It's not that angels and plagues are all that great and marvelous in the book of Revelation. We see a lot of angels and we see a lot of plagues, particularly starting in chapter 9 all the way through chapter 22. We're going to see one plague mentioned after another. What makes this particular sign great and marvelous is that last phrase, in them the wrath of God is finished. This is the beginning of the end. The final moments of the wrath of God. The greatness and the marvel of this Moment, this sign is captured in the fact that this is the beginning of the end. Look at verse 2. And I saw something like a glassy sea mixed with fire. There's that fiery image of judgment again, mixed with fire. And those who are victorious over the beast and over his image and over the number of his name standing upon the glassy sea having harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great And marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Right and true are your ways, King over the nations. Who will not fear, Lord, and who will not glorify your name? Because you alone are holy. Because all the nations will come and will worship before you. Because your righteous deeds have been revealed. John, he looks and he sees this glassy sea. We we heard about this glassy sea back in Revelation chapter 4. But this time there's this mixture of fire. This element of judgment mixed in. Here in the final moments of God's wrath. When he looks at that glassy sea, there's a stark difference between Revelation 4 and now Revelation 15. Far more than the fact that fire is mixed in with the glassy sea. This time, standing on the glassy sea, are those who were victorious over the beast. Now, I want to focus in on what they actually said. What is being said here of God? And the first thing that we find out about those who are standing on the glassy sea, holding harps and singing songs of victory and deliverance, is they're singing songs of Moses, song of the Lamb. So if you think about the song of Moses, you can read one version of the song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15. 
And in that song of Moses, you're going to hear about God's incredible, victorious work over the Egyptians, setting his people free and then conquering the Egyptian army at the Red Sea and enabling his people to follow him on into the promised land. And the whole song is about God's victory and the deliverance of his people. And the end of the song of Moses captures this picture of God leading his people. And he's leading his people to the mountain where he dwells so that they might experience his presence. It's this amazing picture of God leading his people so that they might live where God lives. So they're singing something about the song of Moses. Maybe maybe it's that actual song in Exodus 15. They're singing the song of the Lamb. And what we hear of the song of the Lamb is captured right here in Revelation 15. I would like to think that what we're getting in 15 is like if you go to iTunes and you click on that, I want to test this song and you get the first few seconds of the song, but you don't get the whole thing till you pay for it. We're just getting a glimpse into what is going to be sung. We're not getting the whole thing. We're just getting a piece of it. But here's the piece we get. And this piece that we gets, we get really captures the essence of all that they're singing. And and look at what is said here about the Lord. Great and marvelous are your works. Everything that you do is great and marvelous. The Almighty, sovereign over all things. There's nothing that's happening that's outside the control of God. He's sovereign. He's the Almighty. Right and true are your ways. The way that God actually does what He does. And the timing that God actually carries out His deeds. All of that is right and true. Everything about Him is perfect. And everything that He does is perfectly done. He's the king over all the nations. There's not a nation or people in the face of the earth throughout all of history that he's not rightly ruled, that he's not perfectly controlled and orchestrated all the events of history in just the right way. Everything he does and the way he does it, he sovereignly rules over all things. So much so that the song asks a question whose answer is obvious. If you are like this, Lord, if all your ways are marvelous and great and right and true and everything you do is perfect, then who would not fear you? Who would not want to glorify you because of who you are and what you do, that all of what you do and all the ways that you do it are perfect in every facet? Who would not want to worship you? The only right response to who you are is to fear you and glorify you. 
This song describes the greatness of God saying, you alone are holy. This word for holy here in Revelation is unique. It's rarely used in the New Testament. The word that's normally used for holy to describe God is not that word here. This is different. This word is actually giving attention to who God is in terms of what he does. You know, the other time that this word is used to describe God, it's used to describe Jesus over in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. And it describes Jesus in his role as the high priest. It says, Jesus is not like other high priests. No, he is holy as the high priest. In other words, Jesus as a high priest is incomparable to every other high priest before him because Jesus Christ as high priest has been able to offer himself sinless and perfect as the right sacrifice that would cure our sin separation from God and bring us into right relationship with the Father. There is no one like Jesus and his role is incomparable to anyone before him. And here in Revelation 15, we are told that God is holy in the sense that he's incomparable to any other thing in the world. There's no one like the Lord. He is holy like no other in everything He does. It says that all the nations will come and worship Him because His righteous deeds have been revealed. We're reading through the book of Revelation and we're seeing one righteous deed of God after another revealed. And frankly, they're difficult to read. They're challenging. We're seeing this outpouring of God's wrath upon the world again and again and again. And here in this moment, the song is declaring everything that's being shown about what God does is wonderful. Amazing, right, and true, and evokes worship from the nations. That's what they sang about God. Now, I want you to think with me a little bit more about who it was that was singing. Those who were victorious over the beast. Back in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, we read about the fact that victory over Satan comes because of the blood of the Lamb. So those who follow Jesus Christ can experience and expect victory over the attacks of the devil because the blood of the Lamb has been shed and they have found themselves covered in the blood of the Lamb. And it's in the blood of the Lamb and their faith in Christ that gives them the victory over the devil. And what's really remarkable by the time you get to chapter 13 is you read about those who are clinging to Jesus Christ. And in chapter 13 we are told that those who cling to Jesus Christ, around verse 7, that they're going to be overcome by the beast. 
The beast is representing the red dragon who is Satan. The beast is acting so the world would worship Satan. And now in Revelation 13, the beast is given the opportunity and the ability to crush those who trust in Jesus Christ. Revelation 12, you will overcome the devil through the blood of the lamb. Revelation 13, the devil and the beast will crush you as you trust in Christ. I cannot imagine what it will be like to live in the day when the entire world is in absolute rebellion against God, so much so that evil will never have been higher, that idolatry will never have been more pervasive, then, then the world will literally lay down their lives to worship Satan in the form of an image and an idol that's erected so that people would give their worship to the devil. This is the world in which these people are living where they have to receive the mark of the beast. And if they don't receive the mark of the beast because they trust in Jesus Christ, they can't buy food. They won't have a job to be ostracized in their community. They'll be ripped out of their homes. They'll be dragged in front of groups of people. And they'll be said of, these people will not worship the beast. Because if they will not worship the beast, we will make a mockery of them. And they probably torture them in front of crowds of people. And for certain, they slay them. They torture them. They kill them. They lose their lives because they trusted in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're living in that moment where evil has never been greater and you're losing your life for standing for Christ in the most horrific of ways, certainly as you walk through that difficulty, you've got to be wondering what's going on. Don't you think that those people will cry out to Christ for his help? Don't you think they'll be wondering, why does it have to be so hard? Why did this have to happen when I'm alive? God, how much longer will this take? How much more will I have to suffer? Can you just feel and hear the prayers crying out to the Lord? You said if we trusted in you, we would overcome. And now we are being crushed. But the beast does not have the final victory. And the scene that we are able to see in this moment is the scene when those who were slain for standing for Christ have now been raised again in eternity and they stand on the glassy sea and they hold harps and they sing songs of victory and deliverance. They've been raised again to eternal life and they stand before the Lord and they sing songs of victory and deliverance. Can you see that scene? How these people who suffered so much and cried out for so much are now seeing victory by the Lamb of God because his blood was slain and they have overcome death, sin, and the devil. They're victorious and they're singing songs of victory and deliverance. And everything changed in that moment. See, from that vantage point, they said of the Lord, great and marvelous 
are your deeds. From this point in redemption history, they were saying, everything you did is great and marvelous. Yeah, I remember back when I was going through it and I was facing execution. I was not saying your ways in that moment were great and marvelous, but right now, being resurrected to eternal life, standing on the glassy sea, I can't help but sing as with everything I am that everything you did was wonderful and right. And the way you did it was right and true. And the timing in which it unfolded was absolutely perfect. Everything about everything that you've done and the way you did it, Lord, it is perfectly right and I can't help but worship you, king of the world. You see that? We get to see into what is not yet seen so that we might understand the significance of seeing who God is and what he did and what he will do from a vantage point of eternity. And revolutionizes the way you see everything. I confessed to you last Sunday that the idea of God's wrath is sometimes really hard. It's hard to understand, it's hard to accept. It would feel far easier to make it be something that it's not. There are moments reading in Revelation that, that I would like to say that's not really going to happen the way it's described there. I, I can't imagine torment forever and ever. I can't imagine blood coming out from the winepress five feet high displaying the wrath of God over all his enemies. This is difficult. I, I have a hard time understanding exactly what this is about. and Maybe I don't want it to be like that. I'd like to pretend it's not like that. And you think about there are things in our lives every single day that are very similar to that. We go through something we think, I don't understand why this is happening. Why does it have to be so hard? Why can't God deliver me now? Why can't the Lord provide in this way now? Lord, where's your deliverance if I trust in you? It seems as I trust in you, I have less experience of deliverance instead of more. Lord, what's going on? I mean, do you, do you have those moments where in this life you begin to struggle with some of the things you can't clearly understand? And what we are given here is a vision that a day is coming as we trust in Christ here in the midst of everything we can see and we are touched by. If we trust in Christ in light of what we cannot yet see, that someday the blurriness of we can't, what we can't completely understand will fade away and we will see with crystal clear clarity that everything God has done, the way he has done it, the timing that he has done it, is right, true, marvelous, and great. If this is who he is, who would not fear him?
who would not glorify him. He is worthy of all our worship. Look at what happens next. Verse 5. After these things, I looked in the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in the heavens was opened. And seven angels having the seven plagues came out from the temple clothed in linen garments, clean and shining and girded about their chest with a golden sash or golden belt. And one from the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke of the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter into the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. John looks and he sees the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. And the seven angels having the seven plagues come out of the temple in heaven that's described as the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. And one of the four living creatures we saw earlier in Revelation gives to each one of the angels a golden bowl full of the wrath of God. These angels come out of God's dwelling place, his heavenly dwelling place, ready to carry out the righteous deeds of the Father. And the way that the temple is described here in Revelation 15 is it's the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. There's so much in that description. This is a unique description of the heavenly temple. Back in the beginning of Exodus, when God called his people out of Egypt, he met with Moses and the people on Mount Sinai. When God met with Moses on Mount Sinai, the smoke of the glory of God fell on Mount Sinai. The people could not go up on Mount Sinai. God met with Moses in the midst of the smoke of the mountain and gave Moses the Ten Commandments, the testimony, housed in the Ark of the Covenant. And in that exchange where the smoke came down on the mountain, you could see the display of God's favor in giving to the people instructions as to how they should walk with Him so that they might enjoy the fruit of His presence. When the smoke descended on Mount Sinai so that the people could not even come up on the mountain, it was a moment of God's amazing favor. 
The people later would build and construct the tabernacle. It was a temporary opportunity for the people to experience regular worship in the presence of God. They constructed this movable structure they could pack up and take with them as God led them through the wilderness on into the promised land. The tabernacle was a place where God met with the people. There was this tent of meeting where Moses would meet with God and God would instruct Moses as he, as he is to lead the people. When they finished constructing the tabernacle, they got it all into place and everything was set up correctly. The cloud of God's glory fell on the tent of meeting and Moses could not even go in there to meet with God because the cloud of God's glory fell. It was this incredible moment of God's favor. A moment when God displayed to his people, I will be with you and I will will lead you. Later in the history of Israel, the people under Solomon's direction construct an actual physical temple. They built this magnificent temple right there in Jerusalem. After they completed building it, they brought the Ark of the Covenant. The Ten Commandments were held. And they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies, that place where God would meet with His people in the middle of the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim. They set that Ark of the Covenant down in the Holy of Holies and the priests walked out and the moment they walked out, the cloud of God's glory fell on the temple and the people that were there to minister the presence and the purpose of God could not perform their ministry duties because the cloud of God's glory fell. It was a moment of unbelievable favor. God displayed, I am your God, and you are my people, and I have chosen to dwell among you. In Revelation chapter 15, the heavenly temple is filled with the smoke of God's glory and power displayed in his wrath. And no one will be able to enter into the heavenly temple. I know this bowl is not golden. So just use your imagination. No one will be able to enter into the temple. Until the last bowl that is filled with the wrath of God. Is poured out. And every drop of the wrath of God is emptied. When the last drop falls out of the final bowl, all the wrath of God is gone forever. And all that's left is God's favor forever. Do you know when the smoke clears from that temple in heaven? That 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 temple will actually disappear? Revelation chapter 21 says that in the new forever, there will be no more temple. 
Because God and the Lamb will be our temple. The moment that the last drop of wrath is poured out and all that's left is God's favor is the moment when those who have trusted in Jesus Christ will experience a new forever. And we will take up the song of the Lamb and we will say, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Right and true are all your ways, King of the nations. You alone are holy. We cannot help but worship you. And we will walk right into a new forever. We don't yet see it. We can't yet touch it. But it's a vision to behold that is far more significant than we could ever imagine. So significant that it should shape everything we can see and touch today. Do you know when we are in the new forever that God's going to give us brand new bodies? Amen? Perfect. I'll still be me, you'll still be you, but somehow God's going to shape this broken piece of mess into something perfect. And I will enjoy living in this body in perfection. He's going to give us a brand new earth. He's going to reshape this broken place. He's going to burn it with fire. And he's going to reshape it into perfection. And we're going to live here in brand new bodies in a brand new place that's never been tarnished by sin and brokenness. And we will only know his favor. When we live here with brand new bodies on a brand new earth where God is the temple and the Lamb is the temple, you know what we're going to experience? Perfect fellowship with God. Perfect fellowship with the community of the family of God. And we're going to enjoy forever in perfection. So that everything you experience is perfect. Now do not make the assumption. That because we see a vision of people on the glassy sea playing harps, that that's the vision of your forever. We're not going to be standing on a glassy sea forever playing harps. Okay, this, that is a vision to introduce us to the perspective that we will cling to and will be our eternity once we see the way God sees Everything you've done is right and true. And forever we will live on a new earth, new bodies, new and perfect fellowship. And we will enjoy life like it's intended to be enjoyed as his creation, only this time in perfection. So when I eat food, it won't be because I'm hungry. It'll be because I can worship through the enjoyment of what God has given me. When I look and see colors, I may see brand new colors I've never seen before. And I will behold the beauty of the world and the majesty of the world in a way that provokes me to worship the Lord in perfection. I will experience Him and His presence and all of creation perfectly. Time 
will be perfect. It'll be eternal, but it will still be experienced in a way that I would say it's perfect. So I'm never going to get bored. I'm never going to feel rushed. Everything I experience in every moment I experience it will be perfect and bring me to worship the Lord. I will be actively doing what God has enabled and called me to do on a new earth, using everything I am to bring Him glory, ruling serving, walking, spending time in the presence of God with the people of God in a new forever that is absolutely perfect. You think of the best things that this world has to offer in its brokenness and sin, the best that every relationship has to offer, that just pales in comparison to the least best thing in heaven and in the new earth. Everything we experience in Christ in the new forever is going to be perfect. Will we paint? Will we go fishing? Will we spend time outside? A perfect body is not affected by the elements. A perfect fellowship means that everything we do will be done in perfect worship of the Lord. Will we do all these things? Probably. I can really guarantee you that we'll do some fishing because the river of life in Revelation 22 is very clear. Big fish, river of life. We, we don't know exactly what we'll do, but here's what we can see. A new forever. It cannot be seen yet. When we behold Christ is a new forever that should shape everything we can see right now. It's a new forever you don't want to miss and we don't want anybody else to miss around us. This bowl is actually made by the Nosu people in China. And it's made because the witch doctor will come to your house when you have a loved one who passes away. And the witch doctor will perform some ceremonies there in your house and will capture the soul of the loved one that died in your home and put it in this bowl. So you can now have the soul of your loved one with you in your home at all times. The Nosu people believe something they cannot see. And it shapes everything that they can see. But what they believe is wrong. You live around somebody right now in your neighborhood, down the street, somebody in your workplace, somebody in our community that believes something that's shaping everything they do right now. And that something is not Jesus Christ. We don't want to miss a new forever. But we sure don't want anybody else to miss it. And we live around people that need to hear about a new forever in Jesus Christ. And we are the people who have been given a glimpse of what is not yet seen so that what we do see might be shaped by Jesus Christ. Do 
you see him. If you see him, help somebody else see him too.